Welcome to the Healing Trauma Podcast. I'm so glad you're here. I'm Monique Coven. I'm the host. I'm a certified trauma recovery coach. I've worked for over 25 years as a social worker, and I'm a survivor. The Trauma Healing Podcast is for those who are healing trauma and finding ways to navigate through this messy, uncomfortable, and challenging recovery process. The intent of the podcast is to provide helpful information to validate, inspire you, support you on your healing recovery journey. You're going to hear stories from other survivors, trauma experts, and trauma therapists in the field that will provide information on effective trauma healing modalities, tools, techniques, skills, all in hopes of helping you heal. If you'd like to find out more information on trauma recovery healing, please go to my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. I also have an Instagram and Facebook page at cptsdcoach. Welcome back. So today I am sitting down with licensed professional counselor associate Sidhu Arroyo Bolter. And we're going to be talking about parenting with complex trauma, regulation, self-regulation, connecting with our children so they could feel safe and much more. Such an important topic because those of us with complex trauma ourselves are still learning how to regulate. And we know how important it is to help our children um, regulate and feel safe. And so I'm hoping that this episode will, will give you some tools or maybe some ideas that you can use with, with your own children. If the Trauma Healing Podcast has been a part of your healing and recovery journey, if it's brought you a little bit of understanding, validation, and clarity, you can support this podcast for the equivalent of a cup of coffee. Click on the link in the show notes at buymeacoffee.com slash healing trauma. And when you do, you'll have access to my exclusive trauma-informed content, which includes upcoming shows and guests, helpful and encouraging information, feedback and thoughts on the episodes, and more. Thank you for supporting this podcast. Hi, Sidhu. Welcome to the podcast. Hello, Oni. I'm really happy to have you here. And this topic that we're going to talk about is, is so important. Um, and it's about emotional regulation, parenting, emotions. I mean, this is something that is, uh, it's so challenging for parents in general. And then add parents who have a trauma history Mm-hmm. It's, it's, it's even more so. So I thought we could talk about, well, the idea is I'm hoping that you could help parents get a sense of understanding what's appropriate when it comes to um, 
parenting their children, helping their children with their own feelings, and also helping parents with their own intense feelings that can be brought up when they see their their children's feelings. So um, how should we start this? Um, Do you want to maybe just begin by talking about emotions or feelings? Yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I think this is such a great place to start, Monique, because for many of us, um, especially those of us who may have some trauma in our backgrounds or in our, with our history, emotions is one of those things that we learned as a black and white topic, right? As something that some emotions are good and acceptable and some of those good and acceptable ones bring us attention, love, affection, right? So if we're, if we're happy and joyful, um, then we get that attention, then we get that love, then we get that nurturing. But other emotions we've learned right, um, are not acceptable. They're the emotions that keep people away from us, that keep love, attention, affection away from us. And we are supposed to, this is what we're learning, we're supposed to keep those emotions always at bay. Uh, We're never supposed to experience these emotions. And often like these emotions that I'm talking about, particularly anger, anger is one of the emotions that that we've learned is not acceptable. We're not supposed to get angry at um, our children. Like we're not supposed to experience anger with our children. We're not supposed to experience anger perhaps with others uh, by anger towards ourselves usually is what we end up experiencing. So I wanted, you know, with, with this, I think, I think it's part of this work of, you know, healing or coming back to ourselves comes with relearning our relationship with emotion and relearning that emotions are neither good or bad. Any emotion is neither good or bad. Um, it's okay if we're angry. It's okay if we're sad. It's okay if we're f- afraid uh of a certain situation um and then when we experience those emotions which are actually often at the unconscious level right so we experience our emotions and they're often like at an unconscious level but then we feel the anger that comes right um so if we're triggered let's say by our child who's having a tantrum or maybe an emotion that we're experiencing is a fear a fear of us not being able to be the parent that we tell ourselves we're supposed to be, the parent who prevents the tantrums, the parent who knows what to do in those situations when our child is having a tantrum, right? So that could be, let's say, an emotion that they experience. But the feeling then kind of comes out through anger. And we get angry at our child for throwing a tantrum. We get angry at ourselves for not knowing what to do. And so part of this sort of understanding emotions, understanding feelings, is that neither one of them are good or bad. They're what we experience. And those experiences for us at that conscious level come through our body. And so when we recognize what we're feeling, those emotions, we can address them. And then we have the choice to respond in a different way. So the anger that's present is neither good or bad. 
but we get the choice of responding in an, uh, perhaps a, like a more appropriate way than yelling at our child, right? We can respond by lots of different things, which I'm sure we'll talk about. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm, I'm listening and I think that is really gonna be like a new learning that emotions are neither good or bad because we learned, trauma survivors learned very early that emotions are not, are not allowed, are not acceptable, are good or are bad. And we've disconnected from them, like from a visceral. And so, uh, yeah, I think that that's why that um, reaction can come on so strong within us. So, yeah, I'm, I'm interested to learn more because I liked something you were saying about this, like the situation is one thing like looking at the situation, but it's so hard to separate sometimes the situation from our feelings. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. And you know, oftentimes when we talk about these emotions or feelings that we have, we're always talking about them here in these big moments, right? In these big situations. When our child is in a tantrum, maybe when we feel invalidated by a partner or by a friend or a family member. And we can also, while those are very important moments to talk about, a lot of getting to know and what will give us that choice is acknowledging those emotions and feelings that we have through everyday life, because these are things that are coming up for us all the time, all the time, all the time. You know, small little moments throughout our day when something maybe didn't go our way. Maybe, you know, we asked our child to, I don't know, put on their shoe and they respond back with, you know, some back talk or something like that. And maybe we don't lash out like we would during a tantrum, let's say, but that's that those feelings are still there. And so as we get to know those and instead of like pushing them away as many of us have learned, right? Like get rid of those, these aren't, that we just, we give it a small little space to say, oh, this is what I'm experiencing right now. Like mm, this didn't feel good right now. What could that be about? And we may not have, a, you know, 10 minutes, 20 minutes to go into self-exploration at that time, but we're acknowledging it. Hmm, something came up for me right now. I wonder what that's about. And then maybe later when we have time, coming back and trying to just, you know, create like self-awareness, trying to explore that a little, a little bit more or you know, talking to somebody about it, a, a spouse, a therapist or something. You know, earlier on when this situation happened with my child, like I had, there was something happening there and beginning to explore and figure out what those things are rather than pushing them away. Yeah, that's good. Uh-huh. So it's really a beginning and an awareness that, oh, I'm feeling something. Okay. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So how do we, how do, how do we then start to develop self-regulation or to self-regulate? Yeah, yeah. So let's talk a little bit about that of self-regulation because now there's so much I think out there about, you know, we need to self-regulate or even with children, like we need to teach children how to self-regulate. We this we have to. And it is it's so important that 
we work on these skills with our children and with ourselves. Um, and so I'm going to back up a little bit and kind of talk about maybe what we experienced, right, as adults now, um, back perhaps in our own childhood. And I'm going to try to see if I can walk us through what it would look like or what it could have looked like. And maybe, and then now why we as adults may struggle so much to self-regulate. And so self-regulation is kind of like that ability is that ability to be able to manage emotions, to be able to have that sense of self-awareness of what we're experiencing. And um, with that self-awareness and management, you know, we choose different alternatives. We can choose to respond in a different way. We choose to sometimes compartmentalize and maybe not address it right at that moment because we're in a crisis situation, right? Our child's running down the street and we don't have time to address any type of emotions because we have to act. But so in order for that self-regulation to develop, we have to first have someone else who regulates with us. And that's what the relationship for self-regulation to be able to take place. We need to co-regulate. We need to, it needs to be addressed through another person. Now, if for many people who may have trauma in their background, that may have not happened, right? And so I'm gonna walk us through this, what co-regulation would look like for us, because these are things that maybe we didn't learn, but we certainly can start learning them now as adults. And we can start doing these things also with our children to be able to give them the necessary tools to be able to self-regulate. So in infancy, right, children are, or infants are largely incapable of regulating themselves. And we know this because, I mean, one, they can't communicate. Um, so we need to be very responsive to them. And usually what I like to think about in this relationship is like a 95% to 5% relationship where infants need like 95% support in regulating. Um, maybe 5% they're capable of taking care of, right, their own needs. And how do we do this? By responding, right? By being responsive not in a perfect way, that's unrealistic, but responding consistently enough. And I love always using that word enough because the call to perfection is so great and it's impossible for all of us. So enough of the times to where we're, we're responding. Um, when they're hungry, right, we feed them. When they're crying, we respond. And we at least try to figure out what they need or we try to provide some comfort or something of that sort. As our children then start um, getting older, getting into the toddler years, now they're able to perhaps communicate a little bit more or they're at least starting to. But toddlers still need so much co-regulation. They need still that warm, re responsive relationship from someone else. They need um, structure and safety, right? And through both their physical needs. And what I like to talk about is like routines. Children love or thrive on routine, predictable routines. And that's not to say every single day is gonna look exactly the same, but they sort of know, right? What their day is going to look like, or who's going to be in their lives consistently. 
And so we give this to them, routine safety. Um, but still they're strong, even though they have so much, you know, they're starting to get mobile and they're starting to move and they're starting to talk. Their strong emotions still far outweigh <laughs> anything that, uh, that is visible to us. And so they still need so much support in regulating their emotions. So we're there, we're helping them notice what, what's in their body. We're labeling emotions. Oh, you're feeling, you know, if they're crying over, um, I don't know, not being able to get a toy at the store. We're acknowledging that, oh gosh, this, like, I get it. Like this, you really wanted that toy. This is so hard for you. I completely get that. While still remaining true to that limit, but we can't get this toy right now, you know? And then we try to redirect them towards something else. Um, but that's still, they still need so much support from us. Then children start getting a little bit older. We go into the preschool age. And here, this is like one of those fundamental stages of development where we can really start teaching them so many more self-regulation skills. We're still labeling their emotions, but we're also teaching them now coping strategies. We're teaching them how, what to do with that anger. Oh, you're like, you're so angry right now because mommy doesn't have time to play because I have to do other things or, you know, I have to make dinner, for example. Um, and we're teaching them to do other things, to be able to manage their emotions, to take a deep breath, to go outside, to blow out their anger, to um, go play with, you know, sand or Play-Doh, or met, there's so many other different skills, breathing techniques. And we're slowly starting to implement these. And that one will say like children are able in the preschool age to maybe regulate about 30% of the time, but still 70% of the time, we're still showing up for them in these like warm relationship and a safe space for them to be able to, to release their emotions. Um, and as children then start going older, the percentages, if you will, start to increase for them. If we're still giving them that warm relationship, that consistency while teaching them self-regulation skills. Now, if we didn't get a chance, let's say if, you know, in our childhood, if our caregivers didn't support us in this way, weren't, didn't provide the safety that we needed, if our emotions were shut down, right, if we didn't have a warm, responsive relationship with them, then self-regulation now as an adult is so hard. It's, it's, it's unrealistic for us to imagine that just because we're now in adult bodies that we've magically developed this skill because it is a skill. It's something that we, that we need to learn. And so this takes practice. This takes practice and practice and showing up now for ourselves in the same way that the someone else, you know, our caregivers before would have shown up for us. And so we are now providing that sense of like warm, responsive relationship with ourselves, right? When we're angry, when we're sad, we're kind of acknowledging, we're labeling our own emotions, we're acknowledging what's happening inside of us, inside of ourselves, and we're inviting ourselves to 
respond with a coping strategy with our anger, right? Or with whatever emotion. But I often talk about anger because this is uh, anger seems to be the taboo emotion that we're not ever supposed to feel. <laughs> oh, that was that was really good. That was so helpful. Um, so how? I mean, you talked a little bit about uh, you know we sh we then as adults have to kind of be that self co-regulator to ourselves or our younger parts but how how would you say that we could as adults learn to self-regulate yeah yeah um i safety is the first thing that comes to mind you know we we both need to physically feel safe um that means in the context of like are we do we have are we meeting do or do we have access to the basic needs? Do we have access to shelter, to food, to water, to these, uh, to supportive relationships as well? And so safety is the first part because without that sense of safety, then it's so difficult to be able to even approach a sense of self-regulation. Our, our nervous system is on a constant fight, flight, freeze, um, you know, fawn mode and we're just reactive 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 so safety has to be the first part um when we get if with safety then now we can begin to do some of those things that maybe we didn't have by like starting off in like labeling let's say labeling what's happening to us labeling that right now i'm feeling this whatever it is that we're feeling okay just labeling and not attaching anything else to it right so we're not adding these stories of like i'm feeling angry and goodness like there's something wrong with me and we'll talk probably a little bit more about shame as many of us experience so much shame with our emotions right or when we're dysregulated but um so we're labeling we're greeting ourselves with compassion when we're experiencing those emotions, both compassion and sense like, I see you, I understand what you're experiencing. Okay, let's figure this out now. What can we do to be able to help ourselves right now in this moment? Can I, is it safe for me maybe to walk away from a second, for a second? Uh, you know, during my child's tantrum, if they're in a safe place, and maybe we do need to walk away, maybe we need to walk away and, you know, splash cold water on our face, get a drink of water, take a few deep breaths, um, do some grounding techniques. There's so many different things. And with self-regulation, we kind of tailor it to our own, what works for us. Um, taking deep breaths doesn't always work for people, especially with individuals who have right? Like a lot of trauma in their background. Taking deep breaths can send us into fight, flight, freeze mode. So maybe that isn't what you do. Maybe closing your eyes feels very frightening and scary. So we don't close our eyes. We keep our eyes open and we notice maybe the environment around us. I see this over here. I see this. I see, you know, my cat walking by or whatever it may be. And we're bringing ourselves to the present, to the present moment to be able to acknowledge what's happening and trying to regulate as best as we can. Again, it's never gonna be perfect, but the more consistency that we're able to 
um, address our needs. In time, we slowly start to see some of these skills develop. And when our child is in you know, a, a tantrum or something like that, we can start to see, oh, this time I was able to stop for a moment, take a deep breath or not take a, you know, ground myself before responding to my child. I love that. I really do. And I agree that it really, it, the beginning really is the awareness and the naming because uh, so often it's so automatic that we're just bypassing. We're just in it. We have no idea. We're just reacting. And so I love that. We have to really begin to be aware of what's happening. So that's great. So how do you, how do we deal with the guilt and the shame that comes from when we do lose it with our children? Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, kind of to go back then a little bit of what we've already talked about when the first part in any of these, like if any moment that we lose it is to regulate our body first. That's, we want to bring ourselves back to a state of calm. Um, and when, after we do this, then whether it's there at that time later in a moments of reflection that we're having, we want to start exploring what the shame is about. What is this guilt kind of about? And I want to, you know, be cautious here because what I'm not saying is that we're going back and sort of reliving past traumas, past experiences that we had. Um, but we're trying to explore what is this sense, let's say, of fear that has manifested through shame. What is it trying to communicate? What is it that it's needing? Uh, in a sense. And so the, the, when this kind of comes to acknowledging those parts of us, right, getting to know these parts of us that are showing up in different situations. Um, and so let me get, kind of give an example. If let's say, you know, your child is wanting um, you to play with them and goodness, they've been wanting you to play with them all day. <laughs> Mom can play with me or dad can play with me. And you've played with them and now you have other things that you need to do but they are still continuing and now they start engaging in you know these more challenging behaviors the whining the sort of like pulling dragging at you and then you end up losing it through that time and while you lose it and then your child because they're probably dysregulated both of you are dysregulated at that time they may say something really unkind. Oftentimes, you know, children may at that time say like, you're just the worst mom, or you're a terrible mom, you're a terrible dad, I don't even love you, or things like this. And what may come is that sense of shame through that, right? Like, like, oh, I'm such a, I am like, I'm a terrible parent. I, I, I could have done this differently. It, there's something, it's me, it's me, there's something wrong with me. Um, and when those parts then are showing up, we're both, sometimes we can read it with compassion, right? Like I see that this part of me right now is very afraid. This part of me is afraid of not being enough for my child okay? and reminding ourselves, greedy, uh, like talking 
to that part of ourselves. Like this, my child is dysregulated right now. Their words are not a reflection of my worth. They're not a reflection of my worth. I'm a good enough parent, just as I am. Their emotions belong to them. My emotions belong to me. I can regulate. I can take control of what I'm feeling right now. And then I can support my child. So that's kind of like one way, right? We're greeting ourselves with compassion. Sometimes we can talk about like greeting ourselves with like playfulness when that shame is showing up in ways, maybe not during those situations, but in other times when um, shame may just be showing up and telling us that we're doing something wrong, right? That we need to do more, that we need to do more. And so we're acknowledging still that part, but kind of like, oh, there you are again. There you are again telling me that I'm not doing enough. I see you. I see that you're here. You know what? Like you've been loud enough for right now. I need you to step to the side because the, uh, there's other parts of me here that um, are here to show up. And so we're getting to know and sort of reframing this sense this this talk that we have this negative if you will right talk that we have inside of ourselves um and once again you know this still takes a lot of time and a lot of processing and a lot of safety sense of safety to be able to work through this um through our shame and guilt and um it, it comes also through through safety in a relationship, right? Who is it that we can talk to these things about both ourselves, someone else, a safe relationship where we can kind of start to, um, to de, um, I'm not sure if I'm gonna use this word correctly here, but like uh, give less power to shame, right? When we're telling ourselves that we're not a good enough parent because we, lost it who is it that we can talk to about about those moments right where we're not just keeping it to ourselves because shame loves to like be both be very quiet but still it's still so loud internally um but it tells us like that we're the only one that's broken that's wrong that needs to be fixed <laughs> and so part of it is also in talking to others and being able to share that experience of that we did let's say lose it with our child today because in the context of relationship is you know you, you know like we all lose it at times every single one of us regardless of who you are we've all lost it in some degree with our children with a partner with family friends and as we get to know each other's stories, we can see that this is a, both a very human experience and it's okay to be human. One of the things I was thinking about was um, that, uh, you know, what, what we missed a lot of us was when, let's say growing up our parents, um, you know, did respond in a way that was, um, you know, overwhelming to our system. There was never any repair. There was never any talk about it. Could you just touch on maybe some ways that if parents do, you know, lose it with their kids, what are some ways that they could, that they could address it? 
Yeah, yeah, that's such a great question. Um, when we do lose it, um, it, it's, it's more important for us to work on that repair then, than, than focusing so much on never losing. Of course, we always want to work on, you know, like not yelling, not hurting, not scaring our child. But like I said, sometimes there's moments when we maybe we might raise our voice to some degree. Um, and that's a human experience. And so then our focus is less on like, maybe I should, like, I should, goodness, I shouldn't have done this to how do I repair the relationship now? And so practically speaking, you know, when, when you're regulated, your child is regulated, then we go to them and we acknowledge um, what it is that we've done, right? And we approach it with no guilt, no shame towards our child, even if they said these hurtful words to us, right? Let's say they said, you're a terrible mom while they were dysregulated. Right now, it's about how do we repair? And so we go, it might sound something like earlier on when we um, were in the kitchen, I raised my voice in a way that probably didn't feel very good for you. And I'm so sorry about that. It wasn't okay for me to raise my voice. I will work on trying to calm my body down first before addressing these situations, before talking about, you know, I don't know, whatever it may have been. Um, so we want to repair by acknowledging what it is that we've done, asking perhaps for, for right, we, we apologize for it. And then if, if it's possible, then we can talk about maybe what it could look like before, you know, or problem solve together. You know, if, if our child is whining and maybe, because whining is also one of those things that's very triggering for parents. Um, and we can problem solve together at that moment, but we're not shaming them or guilting them for whining. You know, so we're avoiding those things of like, well, if you wouldn't have done this, then I wouldn't have yelled, right? No, 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 no. Uh, we want to avoid those situations because we don't want to create guilt or shame for our children, much like it didn't feel good for us to be shamed and guilted um, in our own childhood, which many of us probably did experience. So, but instead we can, after we're, after we repair, we can say, you know, I noticed that you were wanting something and you were communicating it through a whining voice. Let's talk about how we can both work together to communicate what we need in a way that works for both of us, right? So we're coming up with solutions together after the fact to how can we both make this better for our relationship and that's going to look different for every single family um but that's that's a direction in which we could go when we're wanting to repair yeah i love that i i do because um you know the repair it it returns the safety and the connection to the parent mm -hmm. um and there's a predictability in that you know 
that even if they see mom loses it, I've learned that that it's going to be okay after. Mm-hmm. So yeah. So this was this was really really a great conversation. It was so helpful. Is there anything that you'd like to add before we close? Um. You know, with this, like I, I like I think I've said so many different times through here. This is a process. This isn't, and it's not something learning to self-regulate, learning to co-regulate with our children. If we didn't learn this in our own childhood, in our own past, um, is a process and it's not a linear process. So we'll have times when we don't respond in that ideal way. And when um, we don't regulate ourselves, and all of those moments we can both kind of address with that compassion towards ourselves, towards our child, and then we move forward. Um, yeah. That's great. So tell us if people want to get in touch with you, where could they find you? Sure, sure. Probably the most. Um, the, the where you would find me perhaps the most is on Instagram. I'm um, the person who, behind conscious parents, conscious dot parents is the, is the Instagram handle name. Um, I also through there uh, or through our counseling practice, uh, newseedcounseling.com. And there we have a blog. Uh, a, a parenting blog, which parents are always welcome to submit their questions and we answer them or I answer them. Um, and then every so often, you know, there's workshops that I also offer and we'll have one um, here at the end of the month in June um, talking about pre- preparing our children for safety. And so a lot of talk of consent and boundaries and body safety. Um, But the primary place probably that most people will find me is on Instagram. If you'd like to find out more about trauma recovery coaching with me, you can visit my website at www.cptsdcoach.com. If the Healing Trauma Podcast has been a part of your recovery journey and you value this work, you can show your support for the equivalent of a cup of coffee. Buy Me Up Coffee is a platform much like Patreon. You'll get access to my exclusive content where I'll share my thoughts on the episodes, trauma-informed posts, and more. Thank you for supporting my work and this podcast. You can support this podcast for the equivalent of a cup of coffee by clicking on the link in the show notes at buymeacoffee.com slash healing trauma. Your support will help keep these trauma-informed episodes coming. Thank you for supporting this podcast.